it's great to be able to be with you this morning and uh, have the opportunity to share uh, what I believe the Lord's laid on my heart. I know Pastor John has been preaching about immeasurably more, and, uh, and so when he contacted me this week in lieu of the circumstances, uh, actually I was landing from a flight in Texas, and uh, it felt like the Lord just began to kind of remind me of this passage of Scripture, remind me of this text, and wanted to be sensitive to what God was saying to us this morning, uh, and so I want to trust that, that He will. You know, when I was, uh, as, as Pastor Mike said earlier, you know, I've had the privilege to be the, the district director now for uh, several years and love the opportunity that I have uh, to speak to students, but I appreciate the chance I have to speak to adults as well. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that, uh, and I share this with a lot of my colleagues, one of the things that, that I understand is, you know, you, you have a certain wave that you ride in youth ministry, uh, and what I realize is this, the older I've gotten, the more I understand that uh, when, when people become moms and dads, you're still riding that same wave, you know. It's just a little older and looks a little bit different, but the same challenges remain there. And so, uh, so hopefully this morning you'll be encouraged by what I feel like the Lord's laid on my heart. Uh, you know, when I was a, was a little boy... Uh, I, I always wanted to be an architect. You know, that was kind of the, you know, the game plan that I had for my life. I felt like, you know, I wanted to be Mike Brady. I mean, that was kind of the, you know, I wanted to, the Brady Bunch was on, you know. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But the Brady Bunch was on and reruns. They were reruns. And so we were watching, you know, and so I just, I wanted to be an architect. That's kind of, you know, what I like. And so as I've gotten older, I, you know, God called me in the ministry and my life got really no, God called me in the ministry, and I discovered the best calling on the planet to be able to walk in what God has called me to do. And so one of the things that, that I've had the privilege the last couple of years uh, to be able to do especially is really uh, help do a lot of stage design in a lot of our churches. I still love and am intrigued by architectural design. I like buildings. You know, I don't like things to say the same or look the same. Thus, I drive my wife crazy because about every five years. I want to redo the entire house. I mean, you know, I'm just kind of one of those one of those guys. And so, you know, I'm really always fascinated by spaces and office spaces and how they look today. You know, and so, you know, one of the one of the office spaces and complexes that I feel like probably is is what we per, per, would perceive perhaps as the most cutting edge really is the, is the is the uh, is the Google Corporation, you know, and they're they're complex and and is is fascinating to me. Uh, millennials love it. Uh, I probably would love it, you know. Those of you that are older than me would probably hate it and go, "How do they get anything done?" I understand all of that, but nevertheless, it's it's pretty intriguing, and so. You know, I, I began to research a little bit about Google and understood this, that it, the word Google was added to the dictionary July 2006. Okay, some of you remember where you were July 2006. So a new word was added to the dictionary on July 2006, the term Google. And so then I began to understand that, that the first time that Google was used on American television as a um, as a verb and not a noun was in the episode uh, of the help October fifteenth 
2002 in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, okay? And and so how many of you have ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Some of you, yes. Some of you, no, have no idea what that show even was. Uh, and some of you think it's demonic. So I get, I get all those aspects of that. But that was the first time that someone said on network television, have you Googled her? And used that term as a verb and not just uh, a noun. And so the company itself was founded September 4th, 1998, and they started with 10 principles that were going to guide their company. They are these. Number one, focus on the user and all else will follow. It would be good for the church to learn that. Focus on the user and all else will follow. Number two, it's best to do one thing really, really well. Number two, fast, right, is better than slow. Number four, democracy on the web works. Number five, don't, uh, you don't need to be at your desk to need an answer. Number six, you can make money without doing evil. Number seven, there's always more information out there. Number eight, the need for information crosses all borders. Number nine, you can be serious without a suit. And I say, thank you, Jesus. You know, I say that was a God moment if there was ever one. You can be serious without a suit. And number 10, great just isn't good enough. Think about those 10 guiding principles for an empire like Google. Now, as Christ followers, I believe we have some guiding principles. Number one, we believe in the one true God, amen, and that he sent his son to die for the sins of the world. Number two, we believe that the scriptures are what God breathed. They are inspired by God. We believe, number three, in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe, number four, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If we believe that all of these things are true, then each day we make a decision to spend our lives on something that matters. We make a decision every day to get up and say, we're not just going to waste time and waste energy. We're going to spend our lives, so we're going to spend it on something that matters. However, too many times we spend our lives gripped in fear. Now, let's be honest, we would never want to admit it. You know, as a kid... I remember on the playground going, saying to, you know, to this guy on the playground, I'm not afraid of you. You know what I'm saying? There's always the bully on the playground. Now it's gotten a whole lot worse. But, you know, I remember saying that, you know, I'm not afraid of you because what? Fear always has a habit and has a way of gripping us. And I remember my dad's famous words were, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You must have knew my dad. You know, so I remember those words. The bigger they are, what? The harder that they fall. You see, fear, it has a way of, of, of changing us and challenging us and, cha and challenging the what we believe. The truth is this, and we think about Pastor John and his family, the reality is we get one shot at this thing called life. You know, there's not a lot of do-overs. Do you know, you don't get a chance in that respect. You get one shot at walking on this planet. You get one shot at living the life. 
And at the end of the day, we make the decision, what are we going to do with the life that God has given us? And you never know that when you're going to find yourself in what you may think is the wrong place, while all the while God is saying, no, you are in the right place at the right time. But sometimes in our human thinking, we look at it and we go, no, we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. All the while, God is saying, no, you're in the right place at the right time. We're going to look to the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to read verse 3 through 11 this morning. Very familiar passage of Scripture. I think they should make, you know, an animated movie out of it. I mean, it's kind of like the, it's, it's like the passage that every little boy dreams about. Now think about it. You know, I've often think God blessed us with a daughter and a son. And, you know, and I, I learned very quickly when they were young that, you know, the way that I respond to Reagan is not the same way I respond to my son Ryder. You know, that with her, you know, you, you have to speak a little more gently. You have to, you know, you know, girls, I love you, you love me, all that kind of stuff, you know, back and forth and, and whatever girls do. And, you know, but I, you know, with my son, I realized this, you just beat him. I mean, you know, you just wrestle with him, beat on his head, everything is fine, you know. And so there's just something about this story that makes me go, you know, it's every little boy's dream. First Samuel 17 says this, the Philistines, you know the story, occupied one hill and the Israelites another. With a valley between them and a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height weighs, was 600 uh, was six cubes and a, a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a bronze coat of scaled armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me, and if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies." of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I think about Goliath as the original Thanos, okay, if you're the Avenger fan. I mean, Goliath was intimidating, right? He was the one that to the Israelite army, let's face it, he seemed insurmountable. And the men of the day, they stood at the battle line and they watched Goliath and they watched the armies of the Philistine and they were terrified and dismayed, the Bible says. Fear. You see, I'm convinced this morning that fear separates us from accomplishing all that God has designed for us. Why do I say that? I think too many times as the church, we have a tendency to what? Not do all that God has called us to do because we're afraid of the outcome. Think about it this way. If God is challenging you this week to share your faith with someone in your workplace or 
in the store or wherever. So many times what? We allow fear to hold us back when we know all the while perhaps God is saying, I want you to be obedient, but we allow fear to grip us. Or perhaps we don't do what God has asked us to do in terms of following his voice and accomplishing his task because what? We think, what if we fail? Or what if we don't have time? Or what if the commitment is too great? Or we don't give in the way that God would want us to give because we think, well, what happens if our job ends tomorrow? Or we worry about going to the doctor because we're afraid of what the doctor's report is. Or we live in denial in our relationships with one another because we're afraid of facing what perhaps would be the inevitable. Fear has a way of causing us to not be and do all that God has called us to do. Now, I'll be honest with you. There's a couple of fears that I have in life. One is I fear snakes. I'm just being honest with you, okay? I I hate a snake. I mean, if you want to see me scream like a girl, if you want me to throw Denise in front, just put a snake there. I mean, I'm just dead scared of snakes. I'm just being honest, you know? Now, you could be here this morning, and you could say, well, you know, as I I remember as little kids, you know, we had a tendency to be afraid of the dark, right? You know, I remember I would probably eat too much pizza and watch something I shouldn't watch, and, you know, and I'd go to bed, and and I remember lying in the bed, and and inevitably in the middle of the night, I'd kick the covers off, you know, and and I remember waking up. Maybe you've never had this fear, and I'm just weird, but, but, um, you know, I remember waking up, laying in the bed, and, and the covers would be completely off, and somehow I would think, okay, there's somebody over there in that corner in this dark room, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking if I can just reach down real quick and grab the sheet and pull it up, everything will be fine, and you know, I don't know what I thought that sheet was going to do, but anyway, it was just, you know, you, if, you know, a lot of people are just afraid of the dark, you know, and, or, or maybe they're afraid of, you know, public embarrassment. I mean, that, that's kind of common, you know, and, and I think anytime as speakers we have a tendency, you know, you're always, you know, checking your zipper. You're afraid of what if you get up and something's just not right, you know, and so you're, you're dealing with that, you know, or, or a very common fear that I have. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I run a lot at the gym and, you know, and I tell people all the time, I do it because, you know, I just want to eat whatever I want to eat. I mean, that's kind of how I am. And so, you know, I like to be honest and say it was for health reasons. No, it's really so I can just eat. And so, you know, I so so I go to the gym and and you know and so and I also you know I'm whenever I'm watching Netflix or you know or watching the ball game or whatever you know I'm just a chip guy. You know, so I like chips, any kind of chips. I'm I'm all about chips, Mike. And so I like chips and they're important to me. And you know, and like I said, I've got a son that's in college, and so when he comes home already, you know what I realize is this. He has a habit of going into the to the uh, to the pantry, and he will, you know, he'll just eat whatever. I mean, it's just, you know, whatever's there, he'll eat. And inevitably, what will happen is I will go behind him to reach into the chip bag, and somehow I realize a fear that that chip bag is now empty. Okay, and and I just want to scream and go, why do you leave the empty chip bag in the in the pantry when I just want a chip? And I get my hopes up and I get excited only for them to be dashed. Okay, and so that happens, you know, and so that's a fear. Or you could be here this morning. Maybe your fear, maybe you have a fear of rejection. Maybe you have a fear of heights. Maybe you have a fear of amusement park rides. I don't know, uh, you know. But I was just thinking of all of the things that that there are phobias for everything, okay, and all of the things that we're afraid of. 
And, and you know, and I, I think this, the story that the Word of God gave us is a story that I think every one of us in the room can relate to, and it's an age-old theme that runs through so many aspects of our life. So this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to pick someone this morning, and I want you to look at them in the face. Okay, everybody do this with me if you will. Pick somebody, look them in the face. I'm a youth pastor at heart, so I love audience interaction, all right? So look at somebody in the face, and I want you to say this to them, nobody roots for Goliath. All right, everybody say that with me. Nobody roots for Goliath, all right? Now, we understand what? That that theme runs through so many aspects of life. I mean, think about it. The Roadrunner and the Coyote, right? Some of you over the age of 50 know what I'm talking about. The Roadrunner and the Coyote, you never rooted for the Coyote. You always rooted for the Roadrunner. Or, you know, for some of you that are a little younger, perhaps it's Buzz Lightyear and Zerg. I mean, you know, you're not really rooting for Zerg. You're rooting for Buzz Lightyear, you know, the whole time. Or maybe, maybe you're, you know, you're, you're thinking of, you're looking at your closet this morning. You're getting ready. You walk into your closet and you see the catastrophe that is, and you think it's either your closet or Maria Kondo. I mean, it's one of those two things, or maybe, you know, you're like me, you go, I'm either rooting for keto or I'm rooting for sugar. Either way, I'm rooting for something. I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of in there. So that theme runs through every aspect of life, and this morning, you're not facing perhaps a physical Goliath. You know, Goliath is not standing in front of you and saying, this day I defy the God that you serve. What is happening, though, is there is a fear in your life that you are facing and that I am facing. And we look at that fear and we say, okay, God, this fear seems insurmountable. And that fear is looking at you and saying, this day I defy the God that you serve. That's where the Israelites were. And so this morning, four things I want to share with you real quickly this morning. If you can leave this week and go, I can take one of these four things and I can implement it in your life, and I feel like, what, we've been obedient to God. David was just being obedient to his dad. He was just coming down to the battle line. He was just delivering a happy meal, okay? I mean, he's just there. He's just bringing food to his brothers. He wasn't a part of the Israelite army. He was just there doing his thing. And he walks into this scene and he sees Goliath, and he sees the Philistine army, and he begins to ask questions like, why are we standing here? Because letting this enemy seem greater than the God that we serve. He asked the obvious question. Here it is, a student, a boy, asked a question that the men of the day should have been asking. Why are we putting up with this? The God that we serve is greater than the enemy that we face. You've got to begin to get that into your heart and your spirit. The God that you serve is greater than the enemy that you face. And when we begin to understand that, we can what? Do all that God has called us to do and then some. We can be and do immeasurably more, as Pastor John's been speaking on. We get that into our heart and our spirit. But if you want to face it, you have to do this. Number one, you've got to overcome limitations. In verse 28 through 31, 
we begin to understand more of the story. I didn't take time to read that to you this morning. But when David walks to the battle line, he begins to ask the question, and what happens? His brothers begin to ridicule him and criticize him. Now think about it. His brothers should have been what? His biggest encouragement, his biggest support. I think so many times in our life today that the people that should be our biggest encouragement and should be our biggest support are sometimes what? Those that are most discouraging. That's just part of life. Folks, that's just how it is. That's the, that is the result of sin nature in all of us. Sometimes the people that should encourage us the most tear us down the greatest. And when we can begin to believe that what our hope is not in what people say, but in the God that we serve, then that stuff begins to roll off our back. We no longer have to live in what, what people say, but we can walk in the promise of God before us. So I think about this passage Sometimes, in order to overcome limitations, we've got to learn to tune out the enemy's voice. Sometimes that voice is a physical voice. Someone from people that should love and support us. Sometimes that voice is a spiritual voice. It's that voice when no one is around, and you begin to hear those words that tear you down. Sometimes it's that thought that, you know what, your job is going to end. Sometimes it's that thought of, you know, this doctor's report is going to be negative and it's going to destroy your life. Sometimes it's that thought of, what if my spouse isn't being faithful? Sometimes it's that voice that says, just go ahead, click on this site. It really doesn't matter. Sometimes it's that voice to cheat your partner and not think twice about it. Sometimes that voice is not necessarily a physical voice, but it's a spiritual voice. It's something that speaks to us in our heart. And we've got to learn to tune out that voice if we want to defeat the enemy, if we want to face the fear in our life. We've got to learn to overcome those limitations that are put on us by people that are around us. And how do we do that? You know, I think the greatest speakers on the planet are amazing, but there's limited power in what any speaker says. That's just reality. We're just vessels that God uses. Where the power rests is the power rests in the Word of God. Why is it important to get the Word of God in your life? Because what happens is when the enemy comes against you, you can say, well, I know Pastor Mike preached last week on something, you know what, there's, you know, that's, Pastor Mike is a vessel. I'm a vessel. Pastor John is a vessel. But at the end of the day, there is power in the Word of God. When we can begin to say what? That greater is he that lives within me than he that's in this world. That the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. That God has not given me the spirit of fear, but a power of a love and of a sound mind. That we can believe that what? It's by his stripes that we are healed, that we can begin to quote the Word of God. And when we quote that Word, what happens is there is a power that is unleashed in us, and we no longer have to live bound and in bondage to the plan of the enemy, but we can walk in the fullness of knowing that God is God in our life. We've got to overcome those limitations. Number two, we've got to overcome inexperience. You know, I love in the story in verse 34 through 37, the lion or the bear account, I love when David is standing before King Saul. And I love the fact that, you know, he goes, when the lion or the bear came 
and carried off the sheep from the flock. I went after it and struck it. The same God that'll be with me when nobody's around is the same God that'll be with me when I face Goliath. Now, I think King Saul's insane. I think he's nuts. You know, I mean, I read this story and I go, you're putting the entire destiny of the nation of Israel in the hands of a teenage boy. Think about that for a minute. Any of you that have teenage boys, just think about it. I mean, just put it in perspective. You know what I'm saying? Well, King Saul goes, you know what? The whole, here it is. And David goes, you know, when I was out in the field and nobody was around, I got really good at using what was in my hand. Now, I don't know about you, but I think God has gifted every one of us. Every one of us has gifts and abilities that God has given us. And I think when we begin to discover what those gifts are and those abilities are, and we begin to say, you know what, God, I'm not going to try to be something else or somebody else. God, I'm going to be who you've made me. God, I'm going to get good at what you've given me, and I'm going to use what's in my hand because when we use what's in our hand, what we begin to see the victory that God has laid out for us. So we don't spend our time what comparing ourselves to everybody else. We spend our time saying, God, if I'm going to compare myself to anybody, I'm going to compare myself to your image in your likeness. I want to be more like you and less like me. We've got to overcome an experience. I love the fact that David, when he shows up and he begins to think about what he's facing, he did not refer to his past failure. He referred to his past victory. But as men and women, students alike, we all do the same thing. We look to the times we failed and what the failure comes from becomes far greater than the success. It's real easy to get hung up in how many times we fail. I say this every day. There's not a day that goes by. Julia works with me. There's not a day that goes by that I don't fail at something, okay? I mean, at the end of the day, I make stupid choices, bad decisions, say dumb things. I mean, that's just part of it. You know, failure is part of life. And I can dwell on the failure. I can dwell on the negative. Or I can walk in the authority of knowing what? That God is with me no matter what I face. And I can remember the time when I cried out to God and I said, God, I need you. And he showed up in a miraculous way. And he set me free. And he transformed my life. And that same God is the same God that you serve. So when we begin to remember... The past victory, it makes a difference. I ask you the question this morning, where are you you today in relationship to where you were a year ago in your walk with God? That's a sobering question. You know, we all go through these seasons. We're still relatively at the beginning of the year, sort of. So those of you that made the commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to the gym every day, you can still get back on track. You know, I I love to watch when when I go. It's interesting, in the beginning of the year, the gym's packed. And you notice after about maybe give it three weeks, every treadmill is open. I mean, you know, it's just, that's just nature. I mean, that's just human nature, you know. So, so, you know, but I ask you today, where are you in your relationship with God today from where you were a year ago? You know, there's lots of areas in my life where I go, I want to be better today than I was a year ago. I don't want to stay in the same place. You know, I want to be further in my walk with the Lord. I want to have a little bit more faith. I want to be a little bit kinder. I want to throw my socks in the hamper. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that I go, God, I want to be a little better. I want to grow a little bit more. But it takes a real relationship. 
You know, I've got a friend of mine, anybody that knows me knows that I love watches. I'm just kind of a watch person. If you ever want to get me anything, I'll take a watch. <laughs> and so, but I like watches, so that's just kind of what it is. And, uh, and so, you know, I have several, and I don't have, you know, I don't have a Rolex. Denise. <laughs> and the, uh, and the uh, so the interesting thing was I was at a friend of mine's house uh, a while back, and, you know, and he just happened to know that I liked watches, and so there was, you know, he had a bunch of watches, and so there was, so I picked up one, and it was a Rolex, and I looked at it, and I thought, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is nice, you know, and, and, uh, and, and everything, and so he says to me, he says, well, John, you know, you can just borrow it. It's no big deal. You can just borrow it, you know, and I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, sure, just borrow it, you know, whatever, and I said, okay, you know, and so I, I borrowed this watch, you know, and, and so I remember it was a Saturday. Well, Sunday, I was scheduled to speak at, at one of our churches, and so Sunday morning, you know, I put the watch on. I, you know, I get to the service. I get out of the car. I'm walking across the parking lot. I could never replicate this if I tried. I'm walking across the parking lot. The clasp on the back of the watch comes uh, undone. It falls off my wrist. Somehow, it lands face down on the pavement. All right, my first thought was not praise Jesus, okay? I just want to tell you this. I can't tell you this morning what my first thought was, but my first thought was not God is good. Okay, that was not, you know, my thought. So the watch is laying there. It's face down on the pavement. I reach down. I pick it up. I turn it over, and the face is cracked, and the watch is no longer working. And my first thought was what my dad used to say to me. He was always like, John, if you borrowed, if you borrowed something, return it in better shape than you borrowed it. So if you borrow somebody's car, put gas in it, wash it, return it. Return it better than what it was when you borrowed it. And so I'm thinking immediately, okay, if I'd had the money to buy a Rolex in the first place, I would have bought it. And so then I'm going, okay, my kids are not going to eat this week. We're not going on vacation this summer. I mean, you know, I'm thinking all this junk in my mind, you know. And, and then I go in and preach, you know, because God is good. So I go in, I do my thing, and, uh, and God was good, you know, in spite of me. And so, you know, I get home that evening. I call my buddy up, and I said, hey, I just want to tell you, you know, this happened this morning. And so I build this story, you know, and I'm just telling him the story. And, uh, and on the other end of the phone, he, he, he gets real quiet, and he goes, listen, John, he goes, I bought that watch on the streets of New York for $25. It's, no, it's, not, a, it's not a big deal, you know. And, and so I'm going, I'm going, thank you, Jesus. $25 I can handle, okay. $2,500, eh. <laughs> so, so, but here's the thing. In that moment, I felt like God spoke to me in a really spiritual way. You know, that watch looked like the real deal. You know, it was heavy, it had a good mechanism in it, it looked like the real thing. And I felt like God said to me, John, how many times do you look like the real deal, but are you really an imitation of the real deal? And I felt like in all of our hearts, we've got to ask our, ourselves those questions. If we want to overcome an experience, we've got to say, God, I want a real relationship with a real God. I don't want to be a fake imitation of the real thing. God, I want to be a reflection of you to people that I come in contact with. And that is a daily decision to die to ourselves. David had to overcome an experience. He was just a boy. Number three, 
He had to overcome expectations. In the story, if we read on in verse 38 through 40, David is standing there before the king, and King Saul offers David's offers David his armor. And David puts the armor on and realizes what? It doesn't fit him. It's bulky. It's not. Because in medieval times, it would take, studies tell us, over 18 months to craft a set of armor specifically for an individual. So obviously, the armor was custom made for King Saul. And yet Saul says to David, here's my armor. A lot of good that did. You know. But he gives, he gives David his armor. David realizes what? It's not in the armor. But it's in the power of God. It's in the God that he serves. It's nothing in the armor. And so I believe this. I believe we have to say to ourselves, we need to stop living on other people's prayers, and we need to establish a relationship with Christ for ourselves. We, can't, we have got to stop comparing ourselves to everybody else and say, God, my only comparison comes between me and you that I can't be somebody else, I can't do what somebody else does, I can only do, God, what you have called me to do. And I believe that David realized real quick that, you know what, it wasn't in the armor, it wasn't in the Israelite army, but it is in what God had placed in his hands that he was good at, and it was in the power of the God that he served. If you want to overcome fear in your life, you've got to begin to say, I want to overcome expectations. I don't want to wear somebody else's armor, but God, I want to be the man or woman of God that you've called me to be. And the fourth thing is this, we've got to overcome defeat. It says in verse 48, what? It said that David didn't stand behind the Israelite army and go, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you know, Goliath, come get me. It doesn't, that's not the story. It wouldn't make a good movie. But basically, it says what? That David was aggressive in his attack. That he was aggressive running toward the enemy because he realized that a half-hearted attack will never kill an angry Goliath. A half-hearted attack. If we want to live in the victory that God has, then we've got to sell out and say, God, whatever it takes, God, whatever you have planned, God, whatever you're working out for my benefit, I want to be obedient to that, and I've got to trust your word, and I've got to trust the record, and I've got to trust your ability to do far more than I could ever imagine or think. I like to think about this, and I want to end with this. You know, I titled this this morning, Five Stones. And I begin to think about that. You know, as a, as a, as a boy hearing the story and growing up in church, I realized that it was not, you know, it doesn't say that David, you know, used multiple stones and finally on the fourth shot got Goliath. That's not the story. So I often wondered for a long time, really, why did, you know, why did David choose five? Why did the, ba why did the Bible tell us five stones? And, there, and there's a lot of uh, theological aspects of that. But as I began to read and read and read through the, the Word, I got to 2 Samuel many, many years later. 2 Samuel chapter 21, you can read it for yourself. 2 Samuel chapter 21, David was king. Many years had passed. He had experienced the power of God, the presence of God. He had experienced the challenges of leadership. He had made some poor choices. He, had, he was human, just like you and I. But it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 21, 
that David and the Israelite army would face the Philistines again. And then verse 18, it says they faced him again and again and again and again. And as I read through that, I thought, you know, God, the Israelite army faced the Philistines five times. And God spoke to a boy and said, choose five stones. And I like to think about this. I like to think that perhaps after the first, I like to think that somewhere, perhaps on the mantle in the palace, maybe David placed four stones in a jar, knowing that at some point in time he would face that enemy again. I would love to tell you this morning that when we face challenges in our life and we, we, when we deal with fear, it's a one-and-done deal, but I'd be lying to you this morning. I've seen the power of God work miracles in my life, in my family's lives. I've watched the power of God in the lives of students and leaders for years, for as long as I can live. I'd like to say this, that, you know, fear is kind of, you learn the lesson and you move on, but, you know, I think fear is what holds us all back. It causes all of us not to do what God has called us to do. And this week, you might be facing a fear. And yet, when we begin to understand what it means to overcome that fear, when we begin to say, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overcome limitations. I'm going to overcome an experience. I'm going to overcome expectations. I'm going to overcome defeat. When we begin to learn those things in our life, you know what, we can live in the victory that God has designed for us. But we've got to walk that out. We've got to learn to believe that what we are leaders and not followers. You know, one of the things that I pray over my kids all the time is, God, help them to be leaders and not followers. Help them to not transform themselves to the world, but what? Lead by example what it means to love Jesus. Are they perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. But at the end of the day, my heart is to what? Be a follower of Jesus and to walk after him and to realize that people are searching for a day where men and women will stand up and be counted for something. I believe this, that this morning, I think the Lord laid this on my heart, not to necessarily interrupt the series that Pastor John is doing, but to affirm that series, to look at it and go, if we want to be immeasurably more, if we want to live in that life that God has for us, then at the, at the root of it all, we learn to deal with fear we learn to deal with anxiety, and we walk as men and women, what? Not remembering all the times we failed, but remembering the times we've succeeded. And knowing that the same God that was with us when nobody's around will be the same God that will be with us when everybody's around. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. And what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for you this morning. Pastor Mike's going to come. The band's going to lead us out. But this morning, you could be here and you could say, you know, John, I'm dealing with this fear, and maybe somebody knows what it is, and maybe nobody knows, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because the person that really needs to know knows. And he loves us in spite of it. He loves us in spite of the fear. He loves us in spite of the anxiety. He doesn't judge us right as we deserve. He loves us far more than we deserve. 
The problems that we face are just a part of the process to be who God has called us to be. And when we begin to understand that, He's making us more like Him and more in His image. And you could be here this morning and say, John, I got a report this week and it's not a good one. Maybe about a job, maybe about an illness, maybe about your spouse, your kids, whatever the situation is. But you know, I wanted to this morning say to you that the same God that was with David is the same God that will be with you. The same God that was throughout Scripture making himself known to man again and again and again that loved you enough this morning that he sent his son to die for you, that that same God is the same God that will be with you in the problem that you face, the problems that I face. And all he wants you to do is run to him. All he wants you to do this morning is to say, you know what? You are greater than the problem that I face. You are greater than my circumstance. And when we are humble before God and we begin to understand that, you know what? When Jesus shows up, things change. And we begin to understand that, then no problem that we face is greater than the God that we serve. But you've got to be willing to take a step. So I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to do this. I ask people all the time to close their eyes, not because it's spiritual. I do it because I've got terrible attention, attention deficit, and if my eyes are open, I'm looking at the ceiling, I'm looking at the walls, I'm looking at my watch, I'm doing, I mean, so for me, it's nothing spiritual. It's more about zooming in on my heart. And I don't think a lot of you are much different than I am. So this morning when we close our eyes, we do it to look at ourselves. And you can be here this morning and say, John, this problem that I face really is rooted in fear. And this morning, I want to be set free from that. And I'm thankful that the Bible tells us that when Jesus showed up and people reached out, they were set free. But it took both things happening. It took Jesus showing up and people responding.